Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. We've been talking about this path of discipleship for the last several weeks, and um, as I'm kind of introing this, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. 2020, Matthew 20, verse 20, and uh, we're talking today about the importance of serving and how we see uh, Jesus inviting people to connect with him and form a community, how he then teaches, and then he sends out, he, he invites people to go and serve in his name, and we're going to talk today about that stepping stone on our own path to apprenticeship or discipleship following of Jesus. So if you uh, have your place there in Matthew 20, 20, it reads like this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, two of the disciples, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. The mother said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten, uh, the ten other disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. When I was 10 years old, I had a plan to run away. I had a plan to run away, and there's a picture. Well, let me describe it to you. Um, I lived within walking distance of a park called View Ridge Park, and I spent a lot of time there with pra- soccer practices and the playground. There was a little wading pool, and uh, there's something there called the field house, which is a really fancy term for the public restrooms. And there were uh, hedges around the field house, and um, that's where I was going to run away to. I, I had it planned out. There was a little overhang. I was going to live behind the hedges and keep out of the Seattle rain um, and, and live there at the field house. And I thought to myself, I was 10 years old, pretty smart. There were restroom facilities for me um, available all the time. I had a wading pool and a playground all to myself. Why was I wanting to run away? Well, my mom kept a note. I don't, I don't have it with me, but, but it, I was frustrated at age 10 that I had to do things like wash the dishes and put away the dishes, dry the dishes, take out the garbage. And we were one of those Northwest Seattle families that composted before 
Oh, there it is. There's the field house. There it is at, at View Ridge Park. So um, the little hedges there have changed. They've, they've improved the landscaping a little bit, but um, I was going to live behind that front row of hedges. Anyway, um, but we were one of those families that, that I, I had a whole bunch of jobs that I needed to do. And, and my family found this note that I wrote, and, um, and it, it read like this. Um, my mom has showed it to me a couple of times. Um, I am not your servant. If how I am being treated does not change, I may run away. That was a strong threat right there from age 10. I may run away. So you can imagine if somebody, if I'd been 10 years old and sitting in a church and somebody read the passage that I just read, I don't know how Jesus' words would have sat with me. What does it mean that I've got to be a servant to people? And so I think 10-year-olds that have to wash the dishes and take out the compost and the trash um, may not sit well with the idea of being a servant of all. But let's look at this passage a little bit more closely. Uh, In the passage, you've got to love moms, right? This could be a great Mother's Day sermon. The mom comes to Jesus. Um, You know, I never noticed this until I read it the second time. I should have maybe paid attention. You notice that she's got two sons. She just wants one of them to get the position. <laughs> it's like, hey, I don't care. One of them. Just one of them. Just one of them. Um, I don't know if she's got a favorite or, or what, but um, she wants the best for her kids. Um, she, the, she wants some sort of position and authority in Jesus' kingdom, and she wants one of her two kids to have one. And sitting on the right and the left is a symbolic of of power and authority and and position in the kingdom. If you have a king in the center, those that are to the sides are those that have position and authority. And that's what James and John's mom wants. And basically, she's saying, grant me these wishes, she's saying. As if Jesus exists as some sort of genie that like you come to and you just ask for wishes. And it, this reminds me, I've, I've watched this comedian named James Acaster. He's a, a British guy and, and uh, he's got a weird sense of humor, but he points out that whenever somebody's presented with this hypothetical about, about if you were given three wishes, what would you wish for? Um, he always says, most people say what? What do, what do you wish for with your first wish? Infinite wishes, right? Well, James Acaster says, better yet, infinite genies. So there's something to think about. But um, Jesus is not a genie, right? So Jesus is not a genie that we come to to get our wishes granted. And yet, and and let's, let's be honest for a second, how many of you have wished for something from God, prayed for something from God, and then been very glad that you did not get it. Jesus is not a genie that we come to to just get our wishes granted. He's so much more, so much more. So what Jesus answers is a strange answer, though. He says he starts talking about a cup, starts talking about a cup. And the cup that Jesus spoke of was a metaphor for his suffering. You may remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, what does he pray to the Father? Take this cup from me, yet not 
as I will, but your will be done. This cup symbolized the suffering that, that Jesus was going to go through. And he, Jesus is telling his followers, by the way, you too will drink of this cup. You too will suffer. And I think that all of us need to understand that, that the hard news about following Jesus is that the way of Jesus is one that involves suffering. It is humbling to us. Whether it's physical or social, emotional, we can be guaranteed that the way of Jesus isn't always up and to the right. But it also involves going down. It involves going through suffering and clinging to God in the midst of that suffering. Now, somehow this word gets to the other 10 disciples that they that the, the mom asked for it, but somehow the brothers get blamed for it. And it says the 10 were indignant with the other two about this request. Now, put yourself in the position of the 10 for a moment. I wonder how many of us there are out there that that we believe that this is our attitude towards life, that if we put our head down and if we work hard, that then we will get rewarded and noticed, that somebody will notice that hard work and they will reward us and put us in a position of authority. But if you have that kind of attitude about life, how frustrated do you get when you see somebody else who's not maybe working as hard, ask boldly for that promotion and they get it. That's frustrating to many of us. And I wonder if that was the attitude that the, that the other 10 had. We didn't think of it. We should have thought of it. And there are the other two. There have always been jokesters in our group, but there they are asking for promotion. And I wonder how many of us get jealous because we're hoping that somebody will notice how hard we're working and say, here, come and sit next to me. So Jesus takes this conversation, this argument between the the 12 disciples and uses it as an opportunity to teach something different. Jesus, as he often does, asks the disciples to take a look at the world around them. They are surrounded by rulers, rulers of the Gentiles, rulers of the nations, And those rulers, Jesus is saying, they use their position and their authority in two primary ways. One, the word gets translated, lord it over. There's a strength to the Greek word that makes it it more like they are domineering. The rulers of the Gentiles, Jesus are saying, are domineering. And then he uses another word and puts that same kind of emphasis on it to exercise poor power and authority. Scholar Dale Bruner feels like both of these words are very negative and it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you have seen the rulers of the Gentiles domineer and abuse their authority. Then he looks at the disciples and says, not so with you. Not so with you. In Jesus' kingdom, Jesus is telling all of us that seek to follow him, that greatness is going to be found in a different way. What Jesus said to the disciples and to us is this, that the place of prominence in the kingdom of Jesus 
is given to those who put others above themselves. The place of prominence in the kingdom of Jesus is given to those who place others above themselves. It is in serving that we are called great in the kingdom of God. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this path of discipleship. And this idea of a path might mean different things for, to different people. What we want to be clear about is that this is not a formula. One leads to two, leads to three, leads to four. A lot of us enter into our journey of discipleship at different places and at different phases. But the intent here is to talk about this, that if Jesus, Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to become a part of a community of people who are following him, part of our discipleship will involve learning from him with one another. And it is a natural thing for us to expect that as we mature and grow and deepen our relationship with Christ, that we become changed Change so that we are looking how we can serve one another and not just serve ourselves in our own interests. So what's clear from the Gospels is that Jesus intended his disciples and followers to do something with their apprenticeship to him. We are expected to do something with our apprenticeship to him. Early Early in his training of them, Jesus sent his disciples out to heal, to preach, and to cast out evil. And when Jesus speaks about this serving, he chooses a very interesting word. The word that he chooses is diakonia. We get the word deacon. Our deacons are those that have been called and elected among us to serve and to give compassion and care and lead us as a church in that care and compassion to our, our church community and the community at, the, at, at large. This diakonia word has a, table, a connotation of table service. We, um, in Luke 22, this is how Jesus speaks of it. Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am one among you as one who serves, diakonia. So Jesus' followers would have seen daily this example of people sitting at a table being seen as having greater honor, while those that served them had lesser honor. Any of us that went out to any sort of restaurant and sat at a table over the last several days, you have been given a place of honor as you sit and servers come to serve you. That's, but Jesus is flipping the idea of kingdom and say, do not seek that place of honor. Instead, seek to be the kind of person that serves, that gives as, as those that, that are there to serve you as you sit at a table. Have that attitude and mindset among you that you are there, have been called by God to serve. So I think that one of the things that I'm trying to say is this, is that Jesus is calling upon us that as we grow and we learn from him, we should reach a place where we begin to look for ways to serve other people. Now, regardless of the perceived status of the serving, we ignore that. 
We don't think about things like that's beneath me. That's for others to do. Somebody else surely will do that. Followers of Jesus can grow into a place of actually seeking opportunities to bless other people. Now, it could be tangibly helping a family in crisis by, by giving them meals, spending time with children in a nursery or volunteering in a school, visiting a homebound friend or cleaning up a local park. There are countless ways to serve within the church and outside the walls of the church. But the call is clear that Jesus calls upon those that follow him to have eyes to see opportunities to serve. But the key question isn't necessarily if some of you are going, well, what am I supposed to do? Perhaps the key question isn't about what it is you are to do in your service, but rather adopting a particular attitude of heart and mind. Because once that we have connected in community, we learn the way of Jesus, we will begin to have our heart changed and be able to put other people above ourselves. Because we have been loved first by God, we can love others. Because we have been served first by God, we can serve others. Now, I think that a lot of us have been around people that serve, yes, faithfully, and they serve often. But I wonder how many of us have ever encountered those people as those whose heart feels like they are serving at people instead of for people. You ever been around someone like that, that, that it, their, mar- their life is marked by service, but it doesn't feel like it's coming from their heart because it feels like you're, they're serving at you instead of for you. I'll use myself as an example. In my home, there have been too many times, countless numbers of times, that I have unloaded the dishwasher and cleaned the kitchen at my kids, not for my kids. The dishes clang a little bit louder. They get done a little bit faster. There may be mumbling under my breath. And all my kids and my wife could attest to the fact there is a subtle difference, maybe not so subtle, of the times that I'm serving at people instead of for people. Why do I bring this up? Because Jesus is so much more concerned about the kind of people we are becoming, not just the things that we do. He is interested in the state of our heart changing our hearts to that place where we realistically embrace the idea that we have been loved fully by God so we are set free to love others. We embrace fully the idea that we have been served by God so we are set free to serve others. Not looking for recognition, not looking necessarily even for affirmation, but we do it because We have been loved first. When we apprentice ourselves to Jesus, we will find that he cares far more about the person that we are becoming and the heart that we have, not just the things that we do. Our path of discipleship then looks like this. We are invited by Jesus to follow him. 
to join a community of people following him. We are invited to learn from him. We are invited to be changed by him, to become the kind of person who serves others. And why do we do this? Because of what he says at the very end of this passage. He says, the son of man, the title that he uses to talk about himself, the son of man, he says, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, you and I have been bought and set free by Jesus. He gave his very life so that you and I might have life and eternal life forever. We have been forgiven and reconciled to God no matter what we have done. We have been set free because Jesus laid down his life. Read the Gospels and and look at how Jesus walked through his life for others, healing others, setting free others from from evil and, and demonic spirits, setting people free from false ideas about God. And he ultimately laid down his entire life so that you and I can be set free and redeemed. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus invites us, follow me, he says. Come and be a part of this community of disciples. Learn from me, he says. And then he invites us to be changed by him so that our hearts become like those that are willing to serve. And the question for all of us today is will we accept that invitation or will we run away? Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your son who came not to be served but to serve. He gave his life for us. Lord, may those words not fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts, but would you open up our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive again this good news. And may we understand the calling that we have to think of others before ourselves, to be filled with your presence, your power, your spirit, so that we might pour out our lives into others. Give us eyes to see the needs around us and and a heart to serve. And may we bear witness to the change that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard... Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about entering into a season of prayer, listening to the voice of God. Speak, Lord, for we, your people, are listening. Well, for some time now, I too have been in that place of trying to listen to what God may be doing in my life. I've come to a place where um, I'm certain that God is calling me to step away from leading uh, the church here and step into a new chapter 
uh, with my family. Uh, no, we're not moving anywhere. Uh, we want to stay here. Our kids love what they're doing. My wife loves her role uh, as an art teacher. But I find that, I, that I'm, I'm eager to move into a chapter of um, counseling and helping and coaching other pastors, ministry leaders, and kingdom business people. Um, I want to teach more at a, a seminary that, that I've been accepted to teach at. Uh, my wife and I are, are, Kelsey and I are excited about stepping into some marriage ministry together as well. I don't know exactly right now what it will all look like, but um, uh, the session met uh, last Thursday night and, and determined that it would be good for me to tell you this. I'm, I'm with you until the end of December. We get to celebrate one more Christmas together, and um, I'm looking forward to us celebrating that glorious day um, with it. I'm not, uh, the other thing I'm not doing, I'm not going to another church. Not, uh, I feel like it's time for me to take a break from church leadership for a season. I don't know if that will, God will call me back at some point, but I hope that you understand this sense of call and that while there may be different reactions from sadness and shock and, and, and joy is okay too, because I know this, that God has great plans for this church, plans to give it a hope and a future. For 150 years, this church has been in this city and there will be a shepherd that will come and lead you into this next season. For God loves this church and I trust that, that while I may not be the one up here, that there will be someone else that steps into this place to lead you in the way that you need to be led. So uh, I'm not leaving today. <laughs> uh, don't feel like you have to say your goodbyes at the door, though I honor whatever you want to say today. And um, I believe that these guys are going to come up and pray for, for uh, Kelsey and me. Pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for our, our brother, friend, Pastor David. We thank you for, for Kelsey. God, we are so thankful for the ways that you, you, have, you have gifted David Thank you for the ways that you have gifted him with gifts of mercy, compassion, teaching, shepherding. Thank you in light of the passage he just preached on. Thank you for the ways um, that he has imitated Christ um, by, by serving us, um, by utilizing the gifts you've given him to build up this church. Father, thank you in your word that you remind us that sorrow and joy are often come together. And so we admit on one hand, um, grieve, um, our, in, in some ways this is change with our friend, and yet at the same time we rejoice over his and Kelsey's prayerfulness and discernment and, and this clear call that you have given them to utilize their gifts to continue to build up your church, to continue to utilize his gifts to counsel and to serve um, and to come alongside others who are hurting. And Father, we would pray for your abundant provision for them. We pray that you would utilize their gifts in a way that would bless your church, that would serve other brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that they would serve in a way in which they would be conduits of your comfort and grace to others. God, we pray that you would put them and give them opportunities in which their gifts can be maximized so your name is hallowed here in Sacramento and to the ends of the earth. God, we also pray for our Fremont family. We pray for this church. We give you thanks, Father, as David mentioned, that you have sustained us by your grace for 150 years. 
We are so grateful that Christ is a faithful head of the church. We are thankful that you care for this church more than we do. We are thankful um, that you have a perfect and faithful track record with this church, and we are grateful that you are never changing. And so, Father, we pray that you, amidst um, sorrow and sadness, would fill us with hope, that you would fill us with assurance of your steadfast character and of your goodness. And we pray that you would continue to bless Fremont to be a place where your gospel would be proclaimed, where people would come to know Christ, where people would come deepened in the relationship with Christ. And so we pray for an incredible special blessing, comfort, and peace upon David, Kelsey, and the entire Burke household. And we pray that for the same upon Fremont Church. We lift all these things up to you as one church body in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening. 